Hey everyone, before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that my candle company, Knox Investa, has just released three new scents for the season. The first one up is Casper, which is named after my sweet bean and delightful dog, Casper, obviously. While it's sweet, it features a lot of honey, cream, and spun sugar notes. The fragrance doesn't overwhelm your nose either. It somehow remains light and fluffy, just like Casper clouds. The next candle is called Sorrento, and this one is inspired by the time where I used to live in Italy for a while. It is a super breezy, citrusy, airy scent. And we even managed to somehow get in leafy notes with like some herbs and tomato in there too, to really just bring this smell into a full immersive cycle. It's weird to explain, but you can kind of feel like the fuzziness of a tomato vine in the scent, but yet it all still works. It is really, really special. And the last scent that we're bringing in this new collection is called Empyrean. With this fragrance, you're gonna start with fresh ginger blossoms and you're quickly carried into heavier notes of frankincense and cannabis. This scent is very mysterious and it's a little difficult to describe. It's smoky, lightly floral, but very deep and rich. And I just love the ginger blossom right on top. It just really adds something. So if you'd like to check out these candles or anything else from the line, make sure you go to noxvesta.com or click the links in the description box. The BBB, a nonprofit organization all about building up trust between consumers and businesses. They advocate for transparency, trust, honesty, and holding companies to high standards. But what happens when the BBB themselves doesn't follow their own standards? Accusations of removing negative complaints, running a pay-to-play operation, and even giving high grades to terrorist organizations have plagued the BBB in the past decade. Have a few bad companies fallen through the cracks or is the BBB just not as trustworthy as they used to be? I know you've heard of the Better Business Bureau, but even after a hundred years of being a symbol of integrity, I want you to truly understand who your BBB is. We are an organization that was started by business owners and we receive no state or federal funding. Hello everyone and welcome to The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati and today we're going to talk about the Better Business Bureau, more known as the BBB. Now, to be fully transparent here before we really dig into this, I have used the BBB as a source before, not necessarily as primary sources for information, but for the reviews. It allows me to see what consumers think about a brand, how they've been treated or their complaints, or at least that's what I thought but I've started to use them less and less in recent months because the more I research MLMs in particular, the more I've noticed how generous they seem to be with their grades. And it really started to make me wonder what's actually going on here because it's not adding up. Let's take LuLaRoe, for example, one of the worst MLMs out there. They've had to pay millions of dollars for breaking pyramid scheme laws. Over 50 lawsuits have been filed against them and they left many women stuck with what I find to be laughably bad leggings and tops. And this is after those many women have paid thousands of dollars to start their business, they like to say. So if anyone deserves an F rating, it's surely them. Yet the BBB just gives them a C minus. They've only had a handful of complaints and the ones that are answered don't seem all that helpful. When one consultant complained about not being given a cancellation email to end their business, LuLaRoe simply said that the email should have gone out and just kind of left it at that. 
The consultant said that they expected a full refund of items and LuLaRoe finally responded by giving them a new email address that they could reach out to, but nothing about a refund. Current and former LuLaRoe retailers say it's far from easy or fun. More than 30,000 have joined a LuLaRoe defective support group on Facebook and have reached out to former LuLaRoe consultants. This graded response from the BBB is pretty questionable, yet it's far from the only example. Herbalife, an MLM we've talked about many times before, is BBB accredited with an A-plus rating. Yet they have a customer service rating of only 2.6 out of five stars. They've consistently been accused of being a pyramid scheme and there are so, so many lawsuits against them, it's kind of hard to keep up. But according to the BBB, they're an A-plus company. Once again, this seems like a bit of an obvious oversight and flaw made all the worse by how respected the BBB appears to be and how massive Herbalife is as a company. Even Monate, who has lawsuits against them and literally hundreds of complaints filed with the BBB has an A rating somehow. And despite this high ranking, the BBB has numerous complaints listed for Monate. There aren't even really a lot of good things to say about them. It's so frustrating and so suspicious that seemingly none of this is taken into consideration for the ratings. Here's what one customer said in September last year. I became a market partner with Monate in January. By May, I noticed a significant amount of hair falling out. And by July, I was officially diagnosed with female pattern baldness. I reached out to Monate via email several times in August asking to be fully refunded and have not received resolution thus far. Every single time I send an email asking for status, I receive a generic response followed by a supervisor will contact you. Other complaints followed suit about being charged $100 or so when they didn't make a purchase and things of that nature. Unlike Herbalife, Monate isn't BBB accredited, but they still have an A rating. Of course, it's not just MLMs. Companies with shady business practices have also received high ratings and the BBB has been accused of being bullies, making people pay up to improve their scores. So what can you trust on the BBB? And how did this nonprofit go astray? And by the way, you did hear me correctly. They are a nonprofit, not a government agency, though a bit more on that later. So with all of this being said, let's take a look. The BBB was started back in 1912. Now, it's not that no watchdog groups or nonprofits existed back then, but advocacy for transparency and accountability in advertising was pretty scarce. False advertisements led to notable court cases like the one called United States v 40 barrels and 20 kegs of Coca-Cola. It has this name because the food and beverage itself was on trial here. When this case first began, people thought it would be about the illegal cocaine in Coca-Cola products. But as Time Magazine puts it, that had already been removed a decade earlier. Instead, this was about how Coca-Cola had supposedly gotten Americans hooked on caffeine. Dr. Harvey Washington Wiley, the chief chemist of the US Department of Agriculture, plus the head of the pharmaceutical division, Lyman Kebler, spoke about how these medicated soft drinks were being sold to the public without any real warning about just how much caffeine was in them. Back then, a glass was actually equivalent to a Red Bull. It might be safe for adults, but not for little kids, and children as young as four were drinking them. The tobacco industry is also notorious for this, though that will be an upcoming episode. But the point of this is just to say that the BBB was formed to bring more awareness to consumers. Just a year before they came to be, the 10 commandments of advertising were adopted. So the time was ripe for this sort of vigilance and committees. The BBB was originally named the National Vigilance Committee when it first began. But in 1921, they became the National Better Business Bureau of the Associated Advertising Clubs of the World. Whew, what a mouthful. 
They merged with other vigilance groups a couple decades later and eventually became the Better Business Bureau with the overseeing entity known as the CBBB or Council of Better Business Bureau. There's no doubt that regardless of what they've become and what we're about to get into, the intent of the Bureau was a valuable one. Currently on the BBB website, they claim that their mission is to be the leader in advancing marketplace trust. Their standards for accreditation are pretty straightforward and self-explanatory as well. The first is obviously building trust. The second is advertising honesty. Then they expect people seeking accreditation to tell the truth, be transparent, honor promises, be responsive, safeguard privacy, and embody integrity. In other words, just don't be shady and treat your consumers with respect. Shouldn't be hard for any good business to follow anyway. So as long as a business follows these rules, they can apply for accreditation from their local bureau. It's also possible for businesses to earn a system-wide accreditation. As for how this nonprofit makes their money, the CBBB receives funding through franchise fees, corporate partners, and sponsors, whereas local BBBs get most of their money through membership dues. And for quite some time, the BBB was seen as very credible, and I didn't see many complaints at all with how they ran things, not until the 1990s. The Bureau was operating in both Canada and the US, but it was their actions in Canada that sparked concern and controversy. While it's a bit difficult to find information about these dealings, there is a website called Canada Law, Can Law Online, that describes some of the details of issues Canadians had with them. One of the massive issues was high executive pay. The Toronto's BBB board gave a $1 million severance to one of their retiring presidents, Paul Tuz. The website Canadian Business also discusses this and claims that Tuz had cost the Bureau over $45,000 in two years for the cost of his other job as an honorary counsel representing two African countries, Togo and Mali. CB adds that he was exonerated in a 1998 hearing, but their questionable dealings don't end there. A membership salesman, James Ems, was hired in 1993, allegedly after finishing a jail term for fraud. A communications specialist who had been appointed interim president quit a couple years later after personal attacks from Ems and colleagues. Then when Peter Lalonde took over as president, service standards decreased, debt went up. Sitting chairman Warren Wall cost investors about $1.5 million just a few years later. All this seemed to culminate in the Toronto BBB being permanently shut down for the repeated criminal frauds by franchise owners. CanLaw also alleges that the Toronto Bureau stole $3,500 from them by failing to pay invoices for consulting and advertising services rendered. Unfortunately, it's about to get way worse from here. So things started to shift around 2007. According to the Loyola Consumer Law Review, they changed the way affiliated businesses were designated as a way to build trust in the marketplace. Instead of calling accredited businesses members, they simply gave them the BBB accredited business title. For ages, that was all a business had, a marking on if they were satisfactory or not. Think of it like a pass-fail system, really. However, by 2009, that changed too. William Mitchell, the CEO of the Los Angeles chapter began using a letter grading system and the Bureau as a whole adopted it. They claimed it was part of their ongoing commitment to making it easier for consumers to find trustworthy businesses. Now, this isn't inherently a bad thing. Charity Navigator does it, and I've referenced them to talk about bad charities before. BBB certainly wasn't the only site that figured this method would make it easier for their consumers to see a company's history. The Greeley Tribune said that the letter grades would, quote, better represent the BBB's degree of confidence that a business is operating in a trustworthy manner and will make a good faith effort to resolve any customer concerns. 
If you're looking to find out the trustworthiness of a company, better more information than not enough, right? But there's a catch. They'd plug all a business's information into a formula to generate a grade. Information such as the number of complaints against them, how long they've been in business, that kind of thing. One of these 16 factors was also if the company was an accredited dues paying member or not. In other words, were they giving the bureau money? Now, I think this almost goes without saying, but I think you could imagine that this is a massive red flag here when we talk about pay to play accusations. One of the factors never should have been their relationship with the Bureau, especially in financial terms. If the BBB is all about caring for consumers, then a business being a dues paying member should not matter at all. Seriously, do you care if the places you shop at are a Bureau member or not? I'd guess that you don't. And in my opinion, it couldn't be any more obvious that they were doing this for themselves and obviously their benefit. In my opinion, it really feels like, hey, as long as you pay us dues and join our little group, your grade will obviously and always be better than someone who is not a dues paying member because that's one of the 16 factors we're judging on. And I'm not the only one to reach this conclusion as well, but we will get to that. From the moment this letter grading system was put in place, people were concerned about it being a pay to play system. Susan Grant, the director of consumer protection for the Consumer Federation of America said that the least the bureau could do was signal if a business was a member or not to customers with a gold star on their profile. That way, at the very least, anyone can tell if there might be some bias involved. Yet Angie Barnett, the president of the BBB Greater Maryland said it was fair to give members a higher score since they're agreeing to a higher standard of business performance. Even if that's the case, what's the point of agreeing to these things if no one's really enforcing them? For example, a brokerage firm called Ferris Baker Watts Inc. was given an A under Barnett's watch. The firm hadn't had complaints for three years. However, a former client and broker ended up in federal prison the year prior, landing them with half a million dollars in fines. According to the Baltimore Sun, Barnett blames human oversight for failing to note the government action and says the brokerage's grade is under review. Now, people were right to be skeptical. In 2010, the pay to play worries were confirmed. ABC News conducted an investigation into the way the BBB operated and found that businesses both big and small had their ratings impacted based on their dues. One woman was told that her antique store could raise its grade from a C to an A if she became a member. And sure enough, she was rated an A the very next day. Even well-known businesses like the five-star Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Boston and restaurants belonging to celebrity chef Wolfgang Puck received Fs because they refused to pay. The hotel general manager told WCVB-TV in Boston, a million customers served, two complaints resulting in an F rating, seems to be somewhat unusual. And Wolfgang Puck added, you know, if you become a member, you're sure to get an A, but if you don't pay, it's very difficult to get an A. I think where you have to join an organization to get a good grade is wrong. A company that provides clowns for parties had a C minus rating based on a two-year-old complaint that had already been resolved. The owner, Carmen Tellez, told ABC News that she paid $395 to be a member, and sure enough, the next day, the complaint was wiped clean and she received an A+. Even she, as a business owner, questioned how her customers were even supposed to trust the BBB when she paid for a grade. People were justifiably outraged because, well, how do you trust anything that comes out of their sight after something like this? The Bureau was meant to be a source of information to give feedback on if something was reputable. Once the story broke, trust was broken as well. Not only were good businesses struggling to get good grades, but bad ones could get an A plus when it didn't feel earned either. 
a precious metal dealer, Goldline, had been harshly criticized in recent years. At the time of this article's publication, they were under investigation by the New York Congressman, Anthony Weiner. Anthony, along with other critics, believed that the grading was just a ploy for the Bureau to launch a telemarketing campaign and increase memberships. He was suspicious of Goldline's rating. Yet at a congressional hearing, Goldline said they were proud to be rated A plus from the Better Business Bureau, as if it truly meant something important and reputable. Goldline didn't just not deserve the A plus rating, but they were so shady and so deceptive that in 2012, they were actually forced to refund $4.5 million to customers. They're such an absolute mess that frankly, they could be an entire episode in of themselves. But to briefly summarize, the company insisted that the government was coming for your gold and pressured customers to buy antique coins from them instead. They literally spread the notion and fear that Obama was going to seize your gold and put heavy advertising and circulation on conservative radio and television programs. But sure, that sounds like an A plus business, right? Now, this is where I also believe the real harm comes in. These Goldline representatives were able to tout their undeserved rating in a congressional hearing. You might question, oh, well, who gets harmed really? Just do your own research into a company and you'll be fine. But that's the thing. The BBB was how people did research. People counted on them to be a good, reliable source. These bureau grades carried a sense of weight, enough for Goldline to bring it up at a hearing anyway. This tactic genuinely hurts people, even if we can't see it immediately. Naturally, every business is going to make some mistakes and that includes the BBB. It happens. Maybe the Ritz-Carlton, Wolfgang Puck's restaurant, Goldline, and that antique shop were all just flukes out of the many thousands of businesses they rank. I also don't know why I said that like so high, like flukes, but okay, I just like that word. That's a fun word. Anyway, well, ABC wanted to ensure that these were not just flukes and (laughs) I'm sorry. They wanted to make sure it wasn't the case. So they threw the bureau a softball. They named a company that didn't exist after a terrorist group, Hamas. The company did not exist, but because the business owners that founded it paid a BBB membership fee of $425, they were able to get an A minus grade. An A minus. That is literally like slipping your teacher a $20 bill so they give you an A on a test that you didn't even try to take. It absolutely baffles my mind how this was okay. An anonymous blogger also told the ABC the same thing happened for two other businesses, a skinhead neo-Nazi website called Stormfront and a non-existent sushi restaurant in California. The Bureau gave the sushi restaurant an A minus and they gave Stormfront an A plus, each for $425. They ran the credit card and within 12 hours, they were an approved accredited member, the blogger said on their website. And this website, FYI, is called the BBB Roundup. Now, frankly, I'd love to know why a supposed neo-Nazi website did better than a sushi restaurant, but hey, maybe the sushi place got some points knocked off for, well, not existing. I don't know. Was any research done here? Like even a simple Google search, like just two seconds, just boop, 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 sushi restaurant, boop, 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 stormfront. We didn't, we didn't do this at all. Apparently not. But if anyone had faith in the bureau before, it seemed to be lost the worse the story got. Connecticut attorney general Richard Blumenthal said that their rating system was unworthy of consumer trust or confidence, which while accurate, seems to be putting it mildly. The investigation looked into about seven cities and found that all of them, at least to some extent, operated in this pay to play format. They raised the grades of non-member businesses quickly after the probe took place, but their reputation was incredibly damaged. And it's only about to get worse. The Loyola Consumer Law Review looked at where all this money was going. Who profited off of this pay to play method essentially? 
They found that the CEOs of the San Diego, New York, and Chicago BBBs each brought in about $200,000 per year, give or take. The organization's national president brought in $335,000 in 2008, shortly before this grading system was even adopted. And as for William Mitchell, the one that started the system, well, he made over $400,000. Considering that each of these chapters has between five to $16 million for an annual budget, these executive level salaries take up a large part of that pie. Critics didn't just call on the Bureau to stop this, but levied some pretty hefty accusations their way too. Scott Hagg, head of the Small Business California stated, it's almost like they're shakedown artists that pressured businesses to pay up or risk poor ratings. The spokesperson of the advocacy group Consumer Action, Joe Riddows also stated, certainly it undermines the BBB's mission to inform and protect consumers if they allow companies to buy their way into a good reputation. The grading system is corrupted by how much money has changed hands. The Bureau moved into damage control mode, but it looked like it was far too little too late. They said they'd conduct a self-review and remove the factor of being a member from the grading system. They said an independent third party would assist them in their review process as well. And while that last point is great and all, it's kind of almost laughable. The BBB was meant to be trustworthy. Now they need a babysitter to look over their shoulder to make sure they do their job. That doesn't seem very trustworthy. They apologized to consumers and William Mitchell, with his exorbitant pay and idea for the system in the first place, resigned. While it seemed like this might be the worst of it, more was uncovered about the Bureau the following year. In February, 2011, the New York Times reported about their system of complaints and by extension, just how broken that system was. They reported that PC Drivers Headquarters, a software seller in Austin, Texas, had 312 complaints filed against it. They had a lengthy rap sheet of complaints. And while the Bureau does offer mediation services, sometimes those $70 services cost more than the actual product itself. PC Drivers HQ had paid $550 per year in dues and seemingly for no reason, they received an A minus rating. They claim to have resolved all the complaints against them, but the actual solution at times is just customers not wanting to pay for mediation fees. The New York Times reported. Some unhappy customers of this company were offered mediation services, but that costs almost twice as much as the product. And when customers say no thanks, we say case closed and count this dispute as resolved. How crazy is that? The BPB system wasn't just hurting reputable businesses, but as we've seen on multiple occasions now, they were protective of the less than savory ones too. A spokeswoman for the Austin Bureau insisted that she knew they were using the appropriate language for how complaints are closed, but yet again, more situations like this began to arise. Some customers told the New York Times that they tried to file a complaint with the Bureau. One man stating that his yard was strewn with coffee cups, soda cans, bottles, and cigarette butts after hiring a tree service, Amazing Trees, to cut down trees in his yard. He tried to file with the Bureau, but by the time he finally got a hold of someone after having to go through the CBBB, they decided, quote, my complaint did not qualify as a complaint. How is that not a valid complaint is my question. The president of the BBB chapter near him said they didn't have a contract between the customer and tree service, so they couldn't determine if any contract terms were broken. Now, I've got no idea when it would be acceptable to trash someone's yard in process of doing work, but I guess that's just me. Now, the Bureau may say that the membership dues have nothing to do with it, but it's increasingly hard to believe that with the more stories we hear and the more articles that are released. 
Expectedly, the criticism kept rolling in the more that was uncovered. Around the same time in early 2011, Mitchell, who started the grading system and made $400,000 a year, rescinded his resignation. The chief operating officer said that Mitchell had only temporarily resigned due to health issues. And Stephen Cox, the president of the CBBB, admitted that they were getting frustrated with Mitchell's BBB Southland chapter. An investigation took place, but it wasn't until 2013 that the Southland affiliate led by Mitchell was expelled from the bureau entirely. They labeled the whole ordeal an isolated situation, despite the fact that we've heard this same pay to play accusation circulating in other cities too. It's not to say that the Southland chapter was a good chapter by any means or not, but they most certainly, it looks like at least, they became the Fall Guys. It took more than two years to expel the Southland branch too, by the way. While there are other websites out there that allow you to find information and reviews like Yelp, Angie's List, Google Reviews, just to name a few, the BBB clings to that official title as time puts it. The numbers of complaints and inquiries made to the company was still rising from 2011 to 2012 in the midst of all this scandal. People still trusted them as a reputable lasting source of information, making this whole pay to play situation all the worse. Hell, some people even think they're a government agency and they're not, yet the yellow pages actually listed them as such. Many think they're a watchdog too, which is also not the case. Their mission isn't to advocate on behalf of consumers, just to offer their stamp of approval and help consumers know who to trust. Sometimes they got it right. Shady businesses were given shady ratings, but overall businesses that were members received a substantially higher rating than those that weren't. Then those businesses who complain about the Bureau, they risked losing their accreditation for complaining. Both businesses and consumers were seemingly trapped in the cycle of having no choice but to fork over their money and shut their mouths. So with all of this uncovered, well, who do we trust? Before we get into a bit of the fallout and where the BBB stands today, I'm gonna take a quick moment to place today's sponsors here. And after hearing such a sometimes meticulous topic about business, it's nice to change it up a bit, right? Spring is in the air. And with the smell of fresh blooms and the sun shining down upon us, you can't help but feel inspired to maybe spice things up or explore your inner desires and fantasies. Find stories that match your mood this season on Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. New content is released every single week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy also has sleep stories, wellness sessions, and now they also offer written stories. So for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com casket. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash casket, dipsystories.com slash casket. Enjoy. Now, if you're like me, you have got hair that is sometimes impossible to control. I go through phases and it seems like every couple months where sometimes my hair is doing exactly what it wants. And sometimes my hair absolutely hates me and says, will I participate in what you want today? Absolutely not. But the reality is, is your hair is completely unique and products that address its specific needs also need to fit your hair's needs. And that's where Function of Beauty comes in. Function of Beauty is the world's first customizable hair care that creates individually filled shampoos, conditioners, styling, and treatment formulas based on your hair now and where you want it to go. Founded by a dream team of engineers and cosmetic scientists, each Function of Beauty product is individually designed to be as unique as you are. 
And they mean it because there's over 54 million possible formulations. And every single one of those is vegan and cruelty-free, and they never use any sulfates or parabens. And you can also go completely silicone-free. All you do is take the quick hair quiz to build your hair profile and select your hair goals. Then you choose your color and fragrance, or you can go dye and fragrance-free. I'm personally a fan, as I've mentioned, of doing the blue colors or the teal color, whichever one it's called, I forget, and doing the peach scent because blue and peaches don't usually go together, but that's how I like it and that's how they make it. And next step is you get your freshly filled formula delivered right to your door and just prepare for good days ahead. So say goodbye to generic hair care for good. Go to functionofbeauty.com casket to take your hair goals quiz and you'll save 25% on your first order. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash casket and let them know you heard about it from our show and get 25% off your first order. Again, that's functionofbeauty.com slash casket to take the hair quiz and save 25% on your first order. Slowly, the BPB has started to fade from the public eye. It's not that this controversy was completely forgotten or anything, but there wasn't exactly much else that could be done either. What's done was done. Still, from time to time, they'd crop up again with questionable ratings of questionable companies. Tina, or Truth in Advertising, criticized them for having companies in good standing, despite said companies being questioned by the FTC. I do want to make a note here that Truth in Advertising, a nonprofit watchdog organization, does operate in the same realm of the Bureau. I'm not entirely sure if I'd consider them competition, but for transparency's sake, someone could consider this a competitor speaking ill of another competitor. In Tina's article, they explain that NutriClick, a supplement marketer who was ordered to turn over $350,000 to the FTC in 2016, had an A rating with the BBB. Many, many people complained to NutriClick for years. They lured customers with free samples, then made unauthorized recurring charges that accounted to tens of millions of dollars. This wasn't just an issue with a handful of people, not even a couple thousand but 70,000 consumers complained, whether to the bank, law enforcement, or of course, the BBB. But out of curiosity, since this article was written in 2017, I went over to the Bureau's website and looked up NutriClick because I wanted to see what's happened over the years. And as of this moment, they literally have an A. And as to the reason for the rating, they list government actions against the business. So how the fuck does that make any sense? Oh, they only have an A instead of an A plus because they defrauded tens of thousands of people. There are no complaints listed. And while the listing says they're not accredited, NutriClick still retains its A rating. What in the world? Like who thought that this company deserves an A rating? Like who said, you know, yeah, this one that like had to turn over money to the FTC, A baby, that's an A company. Tina's 2016 investigation, dishearteningly, found far more examples, over a dozen instances where a company settled for deceptive advertising charges, yet had a positive BBB rating. Even six years after their pay-to-play scandal broke, it doesn't feel like much has changed, hence why I really struggled to believe that this was just an isolated incident. The companies with these undeserved high ranges ranged from things like dog kibble companies promising to extend your dog's life by 30% with no evidence to back up those claims, even to movie studios that didn't disclose they were paying influencers to post positive gameplay videos to social media, and even to colleges that settled with the FTC for $100 million after misrepresenting the likelihood of getting a job to their students and graduates. I have to wonder what the point is by now. Why does the BBB exist when we can't trust a word they say? In my opinion, they're nothing more than a glorified review site. At times they might get something right, but if you encounter a shady company and you're on the fence, BBB should not be the thing to sway you in one direction or another. 
I think people believe the BBB is so official or even a government agency because of the name. They are the state business bureaus that are affiliated with the government, but the BBB isn't. They just look like they are and are such a leader in the industry. And so many people make that false assumption. As we've already learned today, that's a dangerous assumption to make. And it might explain why so many are willing to turn their money over for memberships, because it works. Tina looked into 64 companies the FTC took action against in 2016. On the BBB, 40 of them have no rating or an F. That leaves over a third of companies with high scores. You can see the full list on Tina, but some of them have hundreds of thousands of complaints and they are all A plus or A range scores, but there's no real sign of their system changing. The BBB's blue seal means less and less the more you dig. And at this point, it might as well just be a sign that like, hey, we get it, you paid him a couple hundred dollars. Good, good job, I guess. The Bureau insisted that this Tina article had errors, but they haven't specified which parts are actually an error, nor have they been able to dispute it with any actual evidence. The fact is we do need consumer advocacy groups and we do need watchdogs. Whether it's watchdog organizations or journalism, these groups meant to look out for the public's interest are exceedingly important. Watchdog journalism, for example, helps give people an informed choice at the polls so voters can know if politicians are playing by the rules, are free from embezzlement, and what lobbying interests they might have. In other words, they are putting their money where their mouth is and who might be slipping dollar bills into their pockets. Consumer watchdog groups have also saved people tens of billions of dollars over the years, exposing and fighting to change inhumane practices. We need folks like this. Tina has become an invaluable resource to me when researching MLMs in particular because of all the deep dives they provide. And I've seen them file many complaints with the FTC on behalf of those voices that need to be heard. BBB may not be a watchdog, but they claim to want transparency and to be on the consumer side. But after everything we heard about today, I don't believe that. I think their interests are more selfish than they care to admit. It seems to be a case of you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain, right? Well, it's been a century and I'd say BBB has fallen into the latter category. But with all of that being said, those are just my opinions and thoughts. You can take them or leave them. And of course, sources are always available in the description boxes if you'd like to see how I came to these conclusions or where exactly all of this information came from. But with all of that being said, that is the end of today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you learned something new today. And if you did, make sure you're liking, following and subscribing so you can stay up to date on all the latest episodes. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen and hang out today and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.